Good morning, Jundo. How are you today? Really good, but we got something we want to tell new listeners. Okay, go ahead. What is it? We don't like this podcast until about episode six. I mean, no, no, I, we like it, but you got to get to know us first. And then, so go listen from episode six to the end. And then when you know us and love us, and you will love us, come back to the beginning. Okay, great idea. Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Jundo, it's good to see you for the very first episode of our new podcast. I can't believe we're here. Are we really here? That's a big question in Buddhism because the answer is yes, but no, we're not what we think we are. But yet here we are, and I can't believe with all the work that was done, but that this is the Zen of everything, and finally, we are on the air. Thanks for all your hard work, Kirk. Hey, thanks for joining me in this, Jundo. Um, this is going to be a very interesting experience. I think for the first episode, we need to tell people why we are here. And of course, this is one of those open questions that you just love, and you could talk about this for hours, so let's keep it short. Well, this is the big question that Zen is all about. What are we doing here in the middle of time and space? What is our relationship to everything? And is everything really who we are? But more than that, how did this podcast come to be? That's a mystery. That's a mystery. And Dogen probably wrote something about that in those many lost texts of his, those fascicles of the Shobogenzo that were lost. Dogen never had a podcast. How do we know that? Well, because they didn't have electricity. But besides ah, that, fair enough. Bes besides that, if he had had a podcast, he probably wouldn't be Dogen. Or the Buddha, if the Buddha had had a podcast, he wouldn't be Buddha. Because it's my theory that if we actually had recordings of these people and knew what they were like, we wouldn't hold them in such esteem. You see, my problem is everything I'm saying here is going to be a permanent record. And it's going to be held against me to the end of time. And people will know what an ass I am. Yeah, I'm, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> it is when you're trying to be a big Zen Roshi, you see. Yeah. Um, it's true that in the past, we, we had all this information that was orally transmitted and then eventually got written down. But there was, what, 100, 200 years between the time of the Buddhist teaching and the earliest texts. And so this was like the telephone game. Someone says something and another person remembers it a little bit differently. And it gets, it gets tinted by interpretations over time. You know, the thing is, when a guy dies, they start, you know, polishing the image. And his loyal students, they have a vested interest in making sure that he looks good and their school looks good. So gradually the image gets better. And people who never met the person blow up the powers you know maybe he was a nice guy and everything but soon he's floating through the air and he has all kinds of magical powers in my case you know it's going to be hopeless my most loyal followers will never be able to do 
one darn thing to polish up my image because there's a record here for everyone to, li- to, to listen, and it's going to be there as long as there's an internet. We should end this well, podcast right now. We could do that, but of course I have the option to destroy this record at any time if after your passing um, it seems that it might not be a good idea to have this uh, reference of your spoken ideas. It could just be deleted. Well, Everything sure- is impermanent. You know, you well, you know, you got all kinds of special effects now. Can you put in some, you know, magic powers for me? You know, can I float through <laughs> the air a bit? Can we add some special effects? I can do that to the audio, but I can't make it for real. Well, anyway, let's let's tell people what this podcast is about. The basic Good idea, idea here. Okay. It's called the Zen of Everything because we're going to talk about everything, but as a matter of fact, I know nothing about everything. Which isn't going to stop me because half the people on the TV or the the internet these days talk their opinions on all kinds of things they know nothing about. So I'm going to be at least as good as that. But in fact, I'm going to bring Buddhist wisdom to all kinds of subjects. Things that you, you know, you would think have nothing to do with Zen or Buddhism. We're going to handle, we're going to take them straight. In this podcast, it could be matters of sports, it could be sex, it could be the political situation, it could be the weather, you name it, we're going to deal with it. Now, I don't know anything about any of these subjects. I couldn't tell you how many bases there are in baseball. Well, I know that. There are three bases. I know that. No, I know that. Right. Yeah. And that guy who is on first base and what's on second and I don't know is on third. Right. That's a big Zen koan. So yes. we're going we're gonna to handle this, but we're going to, as opposed to giving any useful advice, because I have no useful advice to give, we're going to bring in timeless wisdom to all these situations. And we're actually going to solve maybe a few problems and actually explain a few things, but not in the usual way. So you're going to be a Zen pundit. I'm, I'm going to be a Zen something. I was going to say okay. a Zen putz, but a Zen pundit will. Oh, okay. I'll okay. be something. That's right. Okay, so how is this podcast going to work? We're not just going to start talking about random things. We want the listeners to send in questions, right? Send in questions. Whatever is bothering you in life, happy thoughts, sad thoughts, your biggest troubles, we'll try to deal with them. I mean, for example, this is not car talk. I'm not going to tell you anything about how to fix your car because I don't know anything besides you know, how to change a tire, but I will tell you how to be one with your flat tire and how to to be mindful in, in fixing your carburetor. I mean, if you ask me about sex, my wife tells me I know nothing about sex, but I'm going to handle it. Well, actually, I know a little, but apparently not enough. But in any case, we're going to deal with it straight on. And even though the Buddha, you know, he didn't have a lot of sex advice because he was celibate. And, uh, well, I'm he was married. celibate after a certain time. He had children, so he must That's not have been true. celibate his entire life. That's true. But like many Japanese Zen Buddhist lineage priests, I'm married. I have two kids, you know. So I'm down there in the trenches really dealing with these family problems. You know, I've been married for, I think, uh, 28 years. I better get my anniversary uh, right because otherwise better I'm in the doghouse. But yeah. uh, I got a 16-year-old boy. I got an 8-year-old girl. You know, so I'm down there in the trenches of real daily life and at the same time uh, trying to practice Zen Buddhism, you know. Okay, so if any listeners have questions, you can send them to podcast at zen-of-everything.com. I'll repeat that, podcast at zen-of-everything.com. 
That's our website, zen-of-everything.com. And as I go on through the podcast, I'll just say zenofeverything.com, and you just remember to put the hyphens in. There will be show notes for every episode with links to anything interesting that we discuss, a link to send us email, and a link to Treeleaf. Why don't you tell us about Treeleaf for people who don't know? Well, Treeleaf Sangha is uh, the group that uh, we began 12 years ago. I started 12 years ago uh, online primarily. Uh, It's a Zen Sangha that's a Zen community where we do things uh, that you find in a normal Buddhist community like sitting, Zazen meditation, and we discuss uh, the teachings and we get together, except we're all online and we're scattered around the world. And the basic idea was originally for people with uh, disabilities or some elderly folks I know who couldn't drive anymore, and I thought with the internet, as opposed to meeting in a building... We could all meet online. And then I found that there are people all around the world who don't have a, a local Zen community, and we could get together too. So right now we have members in Ukraine and Israel and Finland and Germany, and I'm in Japan, and of course U.S. and Canada and Mexico, and on and on. And we all sit Zazen together, and we all get together. And that's what Tree Leaf is. That's pretty neat. Uh, it, it has been neat for 12 years, yeah. The wonder of the internet. Yes, I discovered Tree Leaf shortly after you set it up. I was living in a village in the French Alps, hours away from any Zen center. Um, and it has certainly changed my life in many ways. Um, getting to know you, getting involved with regular practice and teachings, uh, it does make it easier, as you say, for people who are far, people who are disabled. And maybe some people just don't like the whole idea of going to a Zen center with other people. Well, but you need to practice with people. If you don't practice with other people, people tend to spin off into their own world and their own strange ideas. And this is true in, in all, everywhere else in the world in, in many, many subjects. But unless you have you know, some friends or a community to try to you know, keep you a little centered, you can lose your way. So it's good to practice with other people, even if you're, you're living in some far-flung corner of the world. Well, I practice with my cats, and my first question for you is, are cats Zen masters? Are cats Zen masters? And I want to read you a bit of a poem from T.S. Eliot. I'm not sure if this is in T.S. Eliot's book, Cats, but I was reading a review of the latest volume of T.S. Eliot's letters. I read things like that. And this was in the review. Here's how it goes. When you notice a cat in profound meditation, the reason I tell you is always the same. His mind is engaged in intense contemplation of the thought of the thought of the thought of his name. Not his everyday name, not his personal name, but just his ineffable, ineffable, deep and inscrutable singular name. Now, this, this is not the part where you told me not to sing the theme song of Moonlight from Cats. That, that would be right, the end exactly. of the podcast. No, the singing's right. not a good idea. I will idea. not do that as... as Thank you. Catch me at karaoke night, however. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, about uh, your question about cats. Well, first of all, I have to say I am completely biased because we are a cat house. I mean, now we're a cat house. That came out completely wrong. We're a cat family. We're a cat family. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we've had, uh, I've had a uh, long line of cats, one uh, that is in my lap uh, right now. And uh, I believe that they are natural Zen masters, but at the same time, they are animals and everything that we are trying to not be 
when we practice Zen and Buddhism. So they're both. And this is very important to understand. So what is the Zen-like part of cats? And what is the not Zen-like part of cats? The Zen-like part is they don't like people. They, what people do is we worry about the future and we wallow in the past and we think, where am I going to go when I die? And what is the meaning of existence? My cat just cares that there's a nice shiny little ball to chase along the floor and that there's food in the bowl in moderation. She doesn't overeat. She doesn't undereat. She just takes what's necessary. And then she sits and she rests. But does she rest? Is she really resting? Is she doing something else? When I look at my cats, not when they're sleeping, but when they're just sitting looking, it really looks like Zazen. Well, they're alert, too. Yeah. On the, on the spur of a moment, they're alert. So their mind is always focused. And I've never seen a, if there's a, a little bird outside, my cat will sit there just mesmerized, waiting, waiting. And that is very Zen-like. But that's also the not Zen part because cats are killers. I mean, our cat stays indoors. But basically, cats are violent animals. They're hunters. And we, as animals, human beings, we have that in us too. I've tried to persuade my cat for ages to become a vegetarian. You know, we, we took him off the, the cow can and we put carrots in the bowl. She would have none of it. None of it. You know, she needs to eat meat. You know, she, uh, you, you can explain to her reader all the vegan literature. She has no interest. That part is within us. And that's the part I think that Buddhism tells us we need to be less animal-like. So it's a mixed bag. Now it's a mixed bag. Now, some people, you know, cats have a very bad reputation in Buddhism because some people say we're going to be reborn as animals if we act badly in this life. I think being you know, reborn as a cat wouldn't be that bad. Well, you know, I, I happen to agree with you, but that's not the reputation in Buddhism. And first of all, I got to say, I'm known in the Buddhist world as kind of a Buddhist skeptic. I don't say there's no rebirth, but I really don't give a darn. As a matter of fact, I'm so skeptical that, frankly, a lot of the more detailed stories about what happens when you die, you know... I take it with a grain of salt. But even if it's true or not true, it doesn't matter to me because live a good life in this life, you know. I see people act like animals in this life. I see human beings who act like real killers in this life. And, you know, if there's a heaven or hell in the next world, let it be because I know people who make hells for themselves and the people around them in this life. So, you know... Let's leave rebirth aside. But if I were, if there is rebirth and I were to come back as a cat, I could do worse. Yeah, I you could be, you could I come could back as an aardvark or a spider or a lawyer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is actually what I, I, I picked up a law degree many years ago along the way. So that's true too. Yeah. You picked it up and put it back down again, right? I did put it back. I was a terrible lawyer for the simple reason that I told my clients that money is not important and to stop fighting. And if you're a lawyer, you want to tell your clients exactly the opposite. You want to tell them to keep fighting. Money is about everything, you know. So my boss said, you know, you, no. I, and I said, don't litigate, meditate. Ah. It made me perhaps a good Buddhist, but a terrible lawyer. Okay, so this is just giving me an idea for a sitcom about a Zen Buddhist lawyer. It, yes. It, <laughs> 
Yes, it would be called uh, Dalai Lama for the defense. Something like that. <laughs> okay, you mentioned earlier about setting up Tree Leaf, and, and part of it was for people with health issues. Right. Um, and in our um, pre-show notes, you've got a question uh, about health issues and how do you practice Zen when you're sick? Um, yeah. We both had some serious health problems. Yours a lot oh, yeah. more serious than mine. No, we um, both had it. We but we both been through the ringer. Yeah. So how do we do this? I know for me, when I had health problems, it was very difficult to have that concentration to to allow. In Zen, we say when doing something, just do something. So when sitting, just sit, and when yeah. being sick, just be sick. But it's not always that simple. No, it's not that simple. I had cancer a couple of years ago, and big surgery, and I was in the hospital and. The doctors didn't know until they got in there what was going on. And I'd been practicing Zen for 30 years. And I got to tell you, when I got that news, the cancer, and I've got the little kid at home, I was scared. And I said to myself, does that mean my practice was a complete failure? That Wasn't I supposed to have transcended all worries of birth and death at that time? Absolutely not. Because here's something true. That cat, that animal that's in us, wires us to sometimes be afraid. My cat's afraid if I jump. Her tail flies up in the air. She forgets about it 10 seconds later. You know, and human beings don't so easily, but we get afraid. There's nothing wrong and everything right with sometimes being scared. But I'm going to tell you this too. There's something about this practice that yes, leaves you beyond fears of death in a very subtle way. So I was lying there in the bed, scared and not scared at all. That's the only way I can explain it. I was somehow sad and worried and joyous at once. I was worried about what tomorrow would bring and completely okay with whatever the next day brings. That is this crazy Zen practice. But anyway, the cancer turned out okay. I'm still here. You've had a couple of things I know where the doctors told you uh, you could go at any second, and you're still here. So uh, let's hope it we uh, let's hope we make it to the end of this episode anyway. Yeah, well, let's try. Yeah. Um, so when you're sick, just be sick. When you're scared, just be scared. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you know, keep it in moderation. We don't want to be a prisoner of fear. But it's okay to naturally fear a little when something scary is happening. If a tiger is chasing me, a big cat, I want to run. I don't want to be the kind of Buddhist who would just sit there and let the tiger make me lunch. And when the cancer came, I wanted to fight it. Now, I had a friend who had much more serious cancer than I did, and she was amazing. She fought it tooth and nail and accepted the whole thing at the same time. She was wise, and at the same time, she gave it the the good fight. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us, but she lived right to the end and, and left us all touched. I'm, I'm getting a little teary thinking about her right here. Sorry, this podcast gets uh, serious now and then. Yeah, but uh, she but was that's, beautiful. That's the whole point, isn't it? Try to live each moment as if it's the most important moment. Absolutely. You know, the rain is all about Zen because uh, the farmer... When it rains, they welcome the rain. But if you're having a picnic, you don't want the rain. And uh, rain is just the rain. Well, in Zen, we learn that it's all about that throughout life. When you're healthy, just be healthy. When you're sick, you can just be sick. 
the sickness and the health, it's all part of life, just like the sunny day and the rainy day. Yeah, just like the night and the day, just like the winter and the summer. Just like being young and getting old, absolutely. So earlier in the podcast, you mentioned you have a sort of a reputation as a certain trouble animal. Right, troublemaker. troublemaker. And a few weeks ago, you made some statements online that kind of raised hackles among a lot of very serious Buddhists. That's oh, the capital yeah, yeah, B, yeah, yeah. S, and B. You, you said something about... Time. No, it's not the first time. You said <laughs> something about perhaps we should call the Buddha, the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni, she instead of he. She or they, yes, yeah. And I wasn't trying to be political or politically correct. It, it wasn't like that. Uh, it's it's not uh, that kind of uh, statement where I'm I'm just trying to be hip and cool and uh, me too. It, it, no, it's a heartfelt belief, and I was surprised how difficult this was for a lot of Buddhists. I said, you know, we got this image of this man two thousand five hundred years ago, and most of those stories, you know, were made up long after he lived. We really don't have difficulty uh, d- details. Uh, about this person's actual life. Most of them were made up by religious thinkers later to kind of flesh out his story. So I said, you know, the Buddha also represents not just one human being, but all of us and all things. So to be inclusive, why don't we sometimes call him her or they to represent all of us? And, you know, he was celibate, too. He, he is said to have been married, but he, he was not interested in sex. And these days there are people of many, many stripes uh, who are gay or various genders, and we want to welcome them in the community, too. So why do we have to have the single male, uh, was married, heterosexual image of the Buddha why don't we just say the Buddha represents everyone in all things and sometimes call her she? Well, open-minded Buddhists who, you know, are used to who thinking about right the speech. Buddha. Oh, yeah. Used to thinking about the Buddha as the whole universe. They had so much difficulty with this. How dare you impose a she on he? Everyone knows he was a he. And I say, how do you know he was a he? You never, Did you ever meet him? No, I didn't meet him, but it's in the book. But who wrote the book? Well, the book was written by a guy. Yes, you're right. It was written by a guy. So the guy who wrote the book made him a he. But it's in the book and you can't... It's just like the other people with their holy books. You know, you can't challenge our holy book. Anyway, so this little call him or her created a small storm. And people said that I was uh, insulting the Buddha. Well, the Buddha didn't complain about it, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> well, you don't know if the Buddha complained yet. Maybe you haven't gotten the letter in the mail. I will find out when I get it, come back in the next life as a cat. Exactly. Um, but it, it, is a, it is a valid point because the Buddha is an idea more than anything else. Exactly. It, it's an idea personified and, as you say, written hundreds of years later. And, and if anyone's read – I haven't read the whole Lotus Sutra. I've read, read bits and pieces of it. Um, it. To me, it seems like something written by some guys on acid. Oh, yeah, he's floating through the air, and he's there are Buddhas. There's not just one Buddha. There's Buddhas upon Buddhas, and there's Buddhas in grains there's of infinite sand. infinite Buddhas. And filling cosmic time and leaping across it. Yeah, but don't call him or her. That's too <laughs> much. That you don't want to do. So uh, this uh, this bothered some folks. And I'm okay with it. Because, again, my reason is not to be political. My reason if to doing this is one thing, really. Just to welcome people. 
in these traditional agricultural societies of the old days, India and China, they were dominated by men. It was a caste society, class-based. Women were ignorant and kept barefoot and pregnant at home, right? And the men ran everything. So, of course, the top priests were men and the leaders were men and the students of Buddhism were men and the books were all about men, 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 right? Now we don't live in those times anymore. So we want to welcome in people who are living other ways. For example, people, men who like men or men who are of various genders or women who uh, see themselves in a, in a variety of different ways who their identity is. All these people, black people, white people, blue people. Buddha is black, white, and blue, you see. I've not seen the blue one yet. Uh, how does the Zen community and how does Zen lineages welcome women as priests, monks, etc.? For hundreds and hundreds of years, theoretically, women and men were equal because the Buddha is beyond all opposites, beyond male and female. But down on the ground, it was a boys club. The men dominated and the women, if they were nuns at all, uh, kind of second class. They'd never receive the attention or the resources that the men. Now that we've come to the West, about half or more of the Buddhist teachers, not just Zen, but other Buddhist teachers, are women. And the students are women. And we no longer even think about it. Traditionally, in Buddhist society, men sat in front of the women. And a woman priest could not even question a male priest. If the male priest had been a priest for one day and the woman priest had been a priest for years, she still had to listen to the man. She could not challenge his opinion. That's just not how we do things anymore. So today, men and women, we sit together and let's sit together with many people of different paths and kinds all together. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? In fact, first, I, let's explain what that word Roshi means. Uh, Roshi means old guy. Oh, so you're just an old guy, and so that means I can be a Roshi? Well, no. I, I'm an official Zen teacher because I'm a member of the Zen Teachers Union. I have my union card, number 764-648-7201. Ah. I just made that up. But I am a... I'm sure you did. I am a member of the Soto Zen Buddhist Association, which is the association of all Soto Zen teachers, uh, or most of them in North America. And uh, my teacher was a Japanese Zen teacher, and his teacher was a Japanese Zen teacher. And then it goes back generations and generations, all the way back through China and India. And I'm a Zen teacher because my teacher said that I could teach, you see. And I teach. Now, so Roshi... Roshi is the term that we use to say teacher. Um, in, in English, you might say master. Uh, or at least they used to do that when I was young. You, could, you would call a teacher master or mistress. Yeah, it's like maestro comes from. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's kind of old school now in the old days to say master. Uh, we're, we're, you know, in the West, we're, we're more egalitarian. So I, I like the expression to say more than someone's master, I'm a friend along the way. I'm a, maybe a mentor. Maybe mentor and master are Mentor related. is a good idea, yeah. 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 
So, uh, and Roshi is a term that if you've been around teaching long enough and you haven't uh, caused too many uh, problems and you've got a pretty good reputation, finally they say, okay, you're old and you're kind of respected, so you're a Roshi. So you're a Roshi in the Soto world when you can get other students and people to call you Roshi. So ah, since okay. you call me Roshi, I'm a Roshi. That makes you a Roshi. I would never call myself a Roshi. You know, you got these guys who call themselves by talk. That's like the judge saying, my honor. Mm. You don't call yourself a Roshi. But if you want to call me Roshi, go ahead. You know what being a Roshi will do? A Roshi what? and one dollar will get me a cup of coffee in the drive through at McDonald's. Okay. So, Roshi, where do we go from here? I have no idea. But in the weeks to come, we will cover the Zen of Everything. Okay, if you like the show, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please rate the podcast. Tell all your friends. Go to zen-of-everything.com to find episodes, to subscribe to the podcast, and to read show notes. And we'll talk to you next week.